0: Good morning, everyone, and man, is it great to see everybody here today. You know, I, I, uh, you've, you've restricted my worship a little bit, though, just so you know. I, normally, I'm a, me and three other people are in here, so I've got the whole place to kind of roam around and do whatever, but now, uh, you know, been doing that since March, been wearing a mask for a few months now just to say, you know, when we do this, I know what it feels like. Trying to go ahead and get in place and go and test out. I've been testing out masks just to see how it works. So that's been part of it too. But uh, just so thankful we're together. You know, I want, to, I want to tell Josiah how much I appreciate. Had to scramble over the last few days. A part of our, our, uh, our computer system for everything that we do here kind of took a left turn on us on Friday. And we couldn't get the parts in in time. So he's running this through an iPad. So if you see, if it sees a little sometimes up on the screen, not exactly the quality we normally have we're just glad we got it right now okay and Josiah thank you for everything he's he's uh, I just tell you and you've heard me say to quote the great philosopher Napoleon Dynamite uh, it's great to have friends but it's really great to have friends with skills right and uh, Josiah is one of those okay so he is definitely that so just so appreciative of what God is doing there. And just thank you for working with us on this. Man, we want to meet. And we want to meet in the best way we can and the safest way we can. And we're trying to figure this out as we go. There is no playbook, okay? So we're trying to figure it out. And just appreciate you trusting us. And in turn, we're trusting you that we can do this together. So again, thank you for that. This morning, 1 Corinthians... 1, 18 through 31, I'm going to read. It's out of the message, and some of you may not if you're not familiar with Scripture. And and the other thing I want to say real quick, to those that are at home or watching elsewhere, hi. You know, I just know some may even be in rehab or in a hospital or wherever you're watching this, some of our folks. I just want to tell you, I hope this even enhances your uh, experience at home, I really do, but we we 're thinking about you, wish you were here, and hopefully sooner than later uh, we can we can all be in here, and it be a little different. but right now this is uh, this is worth it. it to me it is it 's just worth it but first Corinthians one and uh, eighteen through thirty one and again out of the message eugene peterson 's paraphrase, but I was reading it this week in my devotional, and it just impacted me and i 'm going to speak on that today and uh, See how this goes, okay? Here we go. Verse 18, the message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. Is there any amen in here? Um, This is the way God works, and most powerfully, it turns out, it's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as crackpots. I'll just let that sink in. I I don't don't even know what an expert is anymore. I've I've lost all bearing on what that means anymore. Anyway, So, so where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb, preaching of all things, to bring those who trust in him into the way of salvation, while, G- while Jews clamor for miraculous demonstrations and Jew- Greeks go in for philosophical wisdom, we go right on proclaim- proclaiming Christ the crucified. Jews treated this like an anti-miracle, and Greeks passed it off as absurd. But to us, who are personally called by God Himself, both Jews and Greek, Christ is God's ultimate miracle and wisdom, all wrapped into one. Human wisdom is so tiny. So impotent, next to the seeming absurdity of God, human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I'm gonna read that again. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best. I look around today and go, amen, Paul. No, just kidding. Just messing with you. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you, not many influential, and not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. This should humble you. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet of God. Ready to go home? I mean, there's really not much else to say, right? But unfortunately for you, I got a lot more to say on that part. I'm going to break this down a little bit. Hopefully it'll be helpful to you this morning. I'm going to repeat one minute. Since the world and all that's Fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God. God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considers dumb or in other translation foolishness, preaching of all things to bring those who trust in him to the way of salvation. Now many of you know that preaching People come to know Christ without being underneath a sermon at the moment, okay? We know that. People come to know the Lord in all kinds of different ways. But a crazy thing is God uses preaching as pointing the way to salvation. In other words, what I am doing here today to the world is dumb. It's foolish, And there's all kinds of ways to be dumb and foolish, right? There's all kinds of ways to preach. There's all kinds of ways to go about this. There's all kinds of styles. There's all kinds of different things. We all kind of have these bench, you know, like for us on the staff. We have five people at this point who preach, and a church our size, that's pretty awesome, just so you know. We want to be a place where God allows them to grow into those things. Those who are, some are already way down the road. Some are starting. And we want to be a place where God. I, I'm just thankful that after I was saved eight months, which I today would never let happen in this pulpit. Someone saved eight months. I can't imagine ever doing it. I preached my first sermon eight, nine months after I was saved. What crazy people they were. But they did let me. And I've remembered that, and I think we've got to be a place where that can happen. People can grow into that, advance the kingdom. But different we, people do it different ways. Like for me, uh, I mean, I, I watch Josiah. I mean, Josiah, watched, Josiah almost memorizes him, his often. Uh, like Allie and, and Dr. Dan, they take their notes on bigger sheets and move them over. Dan's just so smooth at it. I watch him, he's just kind of like, you don't even notice it's so smooth. Now the rest of you are going to notice it from here on out, Right? Okay, that's annoying, Dan. Stop doing it. No, you're not going to do that. Like for me, I take my notes, and my, I've got a manuscript. That's my notes right there. They're in a, like a little booklet. So when I turn the page, you think I'm turning the page of the Bible? So I've got you tricked, right? Okay, but most of you know I never look at them again once I get started. That's the problem with all that. That's the reason why I've messaged It should be 30 minutes goes 45, right? So different styles. Some use an iPad. Some use electronics. He uses them all, doesn't he? He uses them all. And we have to be real careful, I think, as a people, as believers, of getting so attracted to a style or to a person. Got to be real careful with that. I've told Jan what they didn't tell me after I was called to preach many years ago that some that preaching and pastoring are two totally different things pastoring's like this umbrella preaching's like under here somewhere i mean you realize after a while and i'm not trying to i'm just sharing with you i hope i can be vulnerable with you and share with you at times kind of the journey of preaching and pastoring because for the last 28 years we don't look, we can never really look at a thursday and go should we go to church this weekend let's just go camping that just doesn't affect me. That affects every people that are directly connected to me. That is a different world. My day off, if I, if I get one, is on Monday. My family doesn't have Mondays off, let alone any friends I have. That's the reason why that friendship is so small. to step up here each way. I told you, and it's just crazy. Who wants this occupation? Who wants to do this, to step in front of people and try to be vulnerable and know what something you say, and it may be a sentence or a word that offends them? They're critiquing. They're watching. Do you the whole thing around the Mass? Sometimes I go, are you kidding me? I don't like it either. I was sweating in there a while ago. I I was. But at least I'm not in China trying to figure out how to go out at night and try to sneak through the streets and try to. No government telling we can't meet. This is not about the government, these masks. Yeah, sure, this, I'm listening to experts, and maybe some of them will turn out to be crackpots. Okay, we get that. But we will see. But I'm willing to risk that. I'm willing to, have a, I'm willing to risk you take and show me a picture 20 years from now and have the mask on. And you go, aren't you embarrassed because they figured out that didn't mean anything? I'm willing to take the risk for the good of others. That's where I am right now. But I know when I say that, some of you are going, oh, you almost took a political stance in all of that moment. You try to find a rhythm. I'm telling Jan the other day, after five months of basically almost non-stop, and that's my deal, not yours. I'm not trying to lay it on anybody. I'm just saying, it is just real, and I gotta be able to call out because nobody else will for the most part. So I got to. The other day, my remote control, I'd pull, up, I, I, my remote control on my garage door used to work at least 100 yards away. That's all I tried, at least 100 yards, at least. Pretty awesome. By the time you get to the door, it's open. Then it kept getting to like 40 yards. Then it kept getting to, even then it was like 30. Then it got to where I couldn't open it from 10 feet away. I could still open it at less than 10 feet. I could still make it happen, but there was nothing wrong with the remote or the motor. But what was bad was the battery. Sure, I can still open the thing from 10 feet, but that tells me I don't have the bandwidth or the range to do it from 100, and that's how I want to live. I'm 60 years old and proud of it. I got a lot of living to do if the Lord allows me to do, but I can't do it if I'm running on 10 feet worth of battery because that's what it tells me is that battery's eventually going to die. We all got to find our rhythms. But preaching, I know not everybody's going to like my style of preaching, But we all got to be careful, right? I mean, some would say, well, I follow Craig Rochelle all the time, or I follow Stephen Furtick all the time, or I follow Andy Stanley or Dad Charles all the time. I follow John MacArthur all the time. Well, Paul addresses this in the first part of this passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, he goes, who said, did did John MacArthur baptize you? Did Craig Rochelle baptize you? Did they baptize you? Because Paul says, some say, he says, Men and women, brothers and sisters, what are you doing? You're dividing yourself over this. Chloe's household, somebody let me know that you guys are wrestling over this. Some say I follow Paul. Some say I follow Peter. Some say I follow Apollos. He goes, did you get baptized in Paul's name? He said, matter of fact, I don't know, really very few of you I baptized. But I sure didn't baptize you in my name. We got to be careful what I love about that passage of scripture just a side note I love the fact that Paul includes their brothers and sisters he didn't have to he could just said men he could just said brothers he didn't have to say Chloe's house he could just said somebody's house but he said Chloe's house that woman who follows after me with all their heart, so mind, and streak, it doesn't say that. We don't know much about Chloe, but her household. I trust her. I trust her household. It's significant. You can't miss it. we got to know Scripture. we got to know what. We can't follow individuals. I love what Francis Chan is, says is, we have in this country, if we're not careful, we'll make people comfortable with Moses, but not sitting before an almighty God. We'll allow people to become comfortable with the go-between, And they'll follow the go-between, the messenger. Or they may follow ten. But we've not caused them or helped them to get comfortable. And when I say comfortable, I don't mean complacent, but comfortable sitting at the foot of an Almighty God. Will you hear directly? When I got saved in 1986, I didn't look to Hooks Baptist Church as my salvation. I didn't look to Brother Roy Ford, as awesome as he was, as my salvation. I hope and pray you never, if you come to know Christ here at this church, you never look at Renovation Church as your way to salvation. It's an instrument of God, but it is not the way. We never look at the Nazarene church. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. There's the foolishness of preaching. Then there's foolish preaching. I read a story years ago about a man who went up for ordination. And, you know, for me, you know, almost anybody can get ordained. We got, you know, you can go online and get ordained. Somebody's got an amen in here to that, I know. Yeah, right there, one back there in the back, an amen to that. And for good reasons, okay? But you can get ordained for a lot of reasons, and you can do it. You know, some churches, it's like take a class. For the Church of Nazarene, I think it's three to four years full-time ministry. And then, along with that, you've got to go to four levels of, of study, courses of study, which I did, but there's a different way to do it now. And you end up with one of these one day. And, and it's awesome, and you're thankful, and they give you no more money for it or no more nothing, okay? Just so you know. But I'm glad I did it. But it's a discipline. It keeps you on track. It puts you where you need to be. It's those kind of things. And it keeps you accountable most of all every year, not only locally in your own church, but every year you go before another level of board who holds you accountable. And I think it's pretty powerful. But this guy here, sometimes we have to keep the foolish ones out. This is the other part of it. I've had interns often over the years I've tried to figure out a way to call them out instead of trying to tell them to move forward. What I mean by that is, we don't need more foolish preaching or more foolish preachers. But I love this story, and I hope it's helpful to you. But this is a story about the man was up for ordination. The ordination board began to ask ask the man the questions, and they asked him, what part of the Bible do you like? He said, well, I think I like the New Testament best, sir. Well, what book in the New Testament? What book, what book? I think I like the book of the parables best, sir. One of them asked, would you kindly relate one of those parables to the board? Well, at that point, he knew he was in over his head. But he had this thought that there's a possibility that this board might not know any more about their Bibles than he did. And if he did it with conviction, maybe, just maybe. So he decided to make a bold attempt and proceeded as follows. Once upon a time, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. And thorns grew up and choked the man and he went on. Now, the man didn't have no money, and he met the queen of Sheba, and she gave the man, folks, he, she gave the man a thousand talents of gold and silver and a hundred changes of remnants. When he was going down under a fig tree, he was going down along under, and under a big tree, his hair got caught in a limb, left him hanging there. Yes, sir, sure did, and he hanged there many days and many nights, and ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink. And one night while he was there hanging asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut his hair off. And he dropped and fell on stony ground and began to rain 40 days and 40 nights. And he hid himself in a cave. But he didn't stay there. No, he went into the highways and byways and compelled them to come in. Finally, he went on to the town of Jerusalem where he saw Queen Jezebel sitting up high in the window. When when she saw him, she laughed at him. And he said, throw her down from there. And they threw her down. He said, throw her down again. And they threw her down. Throw her down again. They threw her down again. They threw her down one more time. And they eventually threw her down 70 times 7 and the fragments they picked up were 12 basketful. At this point, the man's confidence was off the chart. So he looked at that board right in the eye and he said, Now whose wife shall she be in the days of judgment? Fortunately, there was no one on that board that felt qualified to question him any further and he passed. And the reason why that wasn't near as funny to some of you as it was others. You don't know if I was telling the right if that was a parable or not. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not making fun of you. You need to know the word. It would be helpful. There are certain moments in life that are no doubt disproportionate. And as Ali's already said, 2020 is going to be one of those, I think, for most of us that we look back at and go, this, this stands out. Maybe, maybe over some, almost any year to some degree. In August 1997, I was working at Alumax. I was working and running the scalper uh, there at Alumax. I'd been a Christian at that point now, eight months. I, I ran a scalper. Scalper is a uh, it's a massive aluminum planer, like a wood planer. It's a massive one, okay? And so that's what I did for a living. And, and uh, we had a 14 month old daughter, Sydney. I don't, it's kind of blurry. I think all these are kind of blurry a little bit. I, I look at that. Look at that mustache. Didn't I have a good stash going there? That's really good. And there's Sydney. Well, Sydney had a. Had, had something happen to her eye, her left eye, which she's dealt with all these years. But at that time, we didn't know for sure whether or not it was an aneurysm, and we were concerned. She was in the children's hospital in Little Rock, and I had been a Christian for eight months, so I was still foolish enough to pray a prayer, God, if you'll do something, I'll, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. You know, you kind of learn over time that maybe that's a, that's a dangerous prayer to pray. Okay. And I prayed the prayer. Many of you know this story, but I just want to make sure you understand why you see me sometimes with my hair on fire up here preaching, okay? I said, Lord, if you'll heal Sydney, I'll do whatever you ask. At that point, again, I, have, I never had spoken really much at all in public up front, but at that time, you know, I was willing to do whatever. And I went down the hallway there in the Children's Hospital at River Rock, and I said, Lord, I know a few days ago I prayed to you that if you'd heal Sydney, I'd do whatever you ask. But, Lord, I've changed my mind. Whether you heal Sydney or not, I'll still do whatever you ask. Two weeks later, we're at Hook's football field. Hook's, Texas. Now, whoever thought to do a, a citywide crusade in August in Texas on a football field? I have an aluminum uh, that they did. And as that week went on, it kept breaking down, and I kept, I kept stirring in me. I watched that man down there preach, that evangelist preach, and he preached and preached. And I knew as the week went on, God was calling me to do that and I won't go into all the rest of the story at this point because for the sake of time but what I didn't know was that at the end of that crusade we went home that night that last night on Sunday night and I pulled into the carport and I told Jen, I said I got something to tell you she said I already know what it is I said no you don't you don't know this she goes, yeah I do you've been called to preach I said yeah I think I have she didn't sign up for that. She just wanted me to get saved. <laughs> That's all she wanted. But two weeks later, how the Lord come, how the enemy comes and says, "You're a nobody." This foolish, you, you're going to be a fool for preaching. What do you think you're doing? Nobody's ever going to listen to you. Think of your past. Think of all the things you've done. Think of that 10 years, that lost decade in your life. Nobody is ever going to listen to you. You are a nobody. And I went down front at that little Baptist church that night, and I knelt down and I said, Lord, I made an altar. They didn't have an altar. I made an altar. And I said, Lord, you either got to take this away from me and tell me it's not, or you got to show me something. And that night when I went to bed, I had a dream. Now you gotta know at that point those are... For so the first eight months of my salvation, which is what this really is, I'm only reading the New Testaments and Psalms and Proverbs. I didn't even really know what the Old Testament was about, honestly. I knew about Genesis. and go, I don't want to get into all that right now, but very little did I know, didn't really know any of the books of the Bible. So I went to bed that night, and I was in a classroom, and I had a dream. I was in a classroom. Jan was sitting behind me. I was sitting in this desk, and this lady teacher was up front who was an evangelist herself, and she came down and she handed me a piece of paper in this dream, and I unfolded the piece of paper, and it said Ezekiel 33. I woke up from my dream, and it was like Ezekiel, Ezekiel. I had no clue what Ezekiel was, (laughs) None, but it sounded like a Bible name. So I went and got my big old honking Bible, went to the front, and there was Ezekiel, and I went to chapter 33, and this is what it said. Verse 7, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. To hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade them from their way. That wicked person will die for their sin. And I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do not warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins have weighed us down. We are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I think that should be, that should encourage you but rather they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? But back to the watchman. Son of man, I've made you a watchman. Now I realize he's speaking to Ezekiel, and there's a lot more to Ezekiel that, that, that's confusing at times too. I read the whole thing that night, matter of fact, or until I, I didn't go back to sleep till I read the whole book. Kind of crazy. But you may wonder at times why I preach with my hair on fire. I understand I'm a challenger in my preaching, and it fatigues people. I get it. That's the reason why we need a rhythm here. In the early church, though, this is what I'm going to say about all the preaching, and I know I've got a role here. When the early Christians, though, and those early prophets and apostles preached, when they were called on to defend their faith, they rarely pointed to his great moral teachings or his miracles. They pointed to the rock-solid proof of his death and resurrection. How we need to be pointing people to Jesus is the life that has been transformed. When you're throwing things around in Facebook and challenge all kinds of different things and tweeting all different things, sometimes, I've said it over and over, sometimes preach a sermon, you know, let your life preach a sermon, use words as necessary. The resurrection of Jesus is the centerpiece of the gospel in our faith, and we're supposed to be preaching that, and we're preaching anything else. We need to be called out on it. But I love what Leif Erickson said about his dad, Eugene Peterson, which we read from the paraphrase. When Eugene died a couple of years ago, I think it was, his son Leif said, you know, my dad fooled people for 50 years because my dad preached one sermon for 50 years. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Second thing I wanna mention this morning is to take a good look, friends, it's what Paul says, at who you were when you were called into this life. Well, Paul does that in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. He said, I thank our Christ, I thank Christ our Lord, who has given me strength that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul didn't tell somebody to go do something he wasn't doing. He said, friend, remember what what it was like before. Remember that moment before. Remember that day before where you didn't have hope. Now, for some of you, that's a challenge because you got saved as a child. I realize that. But I'm just saying, folks, man, we need to know this. But I want to encourage you today, no matter where you've been or what you've done or what's happened, this scripture tells me, though, that anybody... This is for everybody, even nobodies. I grew up in the car business. And one of the things I loved about the car business, and I grew up in Arkansas in that little uh, car lot like my dad had. And one of the things I loved about it, I worked in the detail shop and the body shop. And one of the things I was able to do there was, was restore cars. And one of the things we used to say about car, about that was we saw through the dirt. People would come back weeks later and go, "I if I'd known that car looked like that, I would never traded it in. I believe Jesus sees us. He sees through the dirt. He doesn't just see us the way we are. He sees us the way we could be. I think the biggest challenge for most of us is not the fact that we don't love Jesus enough, and that may be the case, but I think the biggest challenge for most of us is we don't realize how much he loves us. And we need to step back and remember what he has done for us. And the last one is, I want to say, I don't see many of the brightest and best among you, not many influential, not many from high society fa- families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses and chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebody's a few weeks ago I read this, I don't know if we have this slide or not, but Dr. J. P. Whitney said about the Church of the Nazarene and how what we symbolize. The reason why we're called Nazarenes, we're 'cause we're called Christians first. We're part of the Nazarene church worldwide, but I love this. He said The Nazarene symbolized the toiling, lowly mission of Christ. It was the name that Christ used of himself, the name which was used in derision of him by his enemies, the name which above all others linked him to the great toiling, struggling, and sorrowing heart of the world. It is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, to whom the world in its misery and despair turns that it may have hope. That's why this church was started. That's why the church of the Nazarene was started 125 years ago or so. Out of a tradition who fought against slavery from abolition with John Wesley all the way down. Fought for women's rights. Fought for those things. Fought for education. They were social. They were in the in culture. They were doing something different. They didn't just come and meet. They actually made a difference. Their community were, it was different because they were there. In our culture right now, the elites, the big money are interjecting influence like no other. I don't know if I've ever seen it like this. From CEOs of mega corporations, politicians of the media, academia, experts, whatever that means, <laughs> famous sports figures, and superstars in other arenas. And often they are telling us what we should believe and how we should act, etc. If we're not careful, we will watch the actions of men and women in high places and be in danger of missing the actions of God. What is God up to in the middle of where we are as a culture? I want to say to you, church, You may not like it, but the future is not a detour to the past. We got to make some changes. We got to make some changes. Without compromising who we are, methods change all the time. We adapt, but our values stay the same. Back to the whole watchman thing. When we think of the watchman in our culture, for many of us, we think of police and firemen and medical and and, and military, and I'm so thankful for them during all this, no question about that. Because when they're on watch, if you will, we can go to sleep at night believing we're safe and believing at least to some degree we're safe. Maybe not always, not in every circumstance or every situation, I get that. But at least that's the thought. However, we need watchmen and watch women and watch kids everywhere. (laughs) That includes you and I. The Hebrew word for watchman means to lean forward, to peer into the distance, to observe, spy out, if you will, wait for, keep the watch. The watchman would often be on the city walls, literally leaning forward, peering out. not asleep, not cowering in the corner, their job was to be on the wall and paying attention. For a lot of reasons, messenger's coming, but one of them is is the enemy approaching. We, as a church, have a responsibility to our culture. We cannot hand off to the government what only the church ultimately can do. The church, most of the time, seems best when it's a counterbalance to the government. Not when it's in lockstep. And I don't mean that we don't work with the government. We're trying to do it here, obviously, for the good of others. But it brings on our values to love our neighbor. But I love what Philip Yancey says. He said, a state government can shut down stores and theaters on Sunday, but it cannot compel worship. It can arrest and punish murderers, but cannot cure their hatred, much less teach them love. It can pass laws making divorce more difficult, but cannot force husbands to love their wives and wives their husbands. It can give subsidies to the poor, but cannot force the rich to show them compassion or justice. It can ban adultery but not lust, theft but not covetousness, cheating but not pride. It can encourage virtue but not holiness. We have a role, and it's enormous. I realize we need to vote well, and we need to educate ourselves well, and we need to know what's going on in culture and lean into that and do right things by not only by people but by what the kingdom and the word would tell us to do. We need to do that. But we cannot keep outsourcing what only the church is called to do. Cannot do it. We are to fight injustice. We are. To the nobodies, they're overlooked. We're all nobodies, they become somebody because we met the somebody, and he changed everything. He changed everything. I realize trying to be a redemptive force in this culture is going to be hard, and let me tell you why it's so hard, because redemption doesn't come to easy places. It doesn't come to places that may necessarily be inherently good. Redemption comes to places where evil has left its mark, where it is dark. You know when the watchman does his best work? When it's the darkest. Don't be going around trying to figure out, oh, my goodness, the world's coming to an end. Or I, hear, I get questions, Pastor Kurt, do you think this is the end of everything? No, it may be the beginning. What do you mean? The end. I want to know what God's up to because I know he's up to something. And if he's up to something, I want to be a part of it. I don't want to be found cowering in the corner. People need us to be a part of the answer and part of the solution. Without compromising who we know we're supposed to be. As a matter of fact, you might find out more who you were supposed to be in alone. Because he still uses nobodies. Oh, yeah, the elites can help, and I'm not saying God doesn't work there. I'm just saying, over history, especially the early church, there was no power. They didn't have the right people in office, and they flipped the world on its head. And we're still doing this 2,000-something years later. No advantage. Last year, we did a series called Nobody, Somebody. Anybody remember that? Did video at that time. Got a few Academy Award nominations. Or no, I think no, it not Academy Award. MTV, I don't even think it's a thing anymore, I don't think, but uh, videos, no. But we're going to show that today. We're back together. I think it would be an encouragement. God's using this. God's up to something. God's changing this. God's, the story's still as powerful as it was 2,000 years ago or as it was in 1986 when I walked that aisle. It's, it's, it's time. It's time. He turns graves into gardens. He turns bones into armies. Scripture. He turns seas into dry land. For a pathway, a highway. We're going to close out with this video, and I'm going to ask the band to come down, and we'll close right after that with a song as we leave today. But thank you guys again for being here. I'll come back and and run us out of here. But I just ask this before I close here uh, as we go to the video. At the end, be sure and stay seated. We have a way we egress out of here that sure is helpful, I think, in the midst of where we are. So do that. Okay, here we go. Let's see if it shows.